Welcome to this week's episode of The Periodic Bagel. I'm Alex Goldberg, recording from San Francisco. This is CJ Chemjobber, recording from our headquarters in Shell, Wyoming. This week, we're talking with Nessa Carson, a longtime member of Chemistry Twitter. She's a UK organic chemist in the industry who works with robots that do high-throughput experimentation. Today, we're talking to Nessa about her favorite robots, robots in chemistry, and the robot apocalypse. After recording the originally planned material, we ended up having a fairly candid off-the-record chat about the infamous Eric Carrera letter in graduate school culture. We weren't originally going to air this, but we decided it was an important topic, so we included it with everyone's consent. Our potty mouths were in full force, so if there are any sensitive ears in range, we suggest that you tune out when we start talking about Twitter. Nessa, we like to start with serious questions here at the Periodic Bagel. Um, And so uh, picture this, robot apocalypse, the world is under your control, naturally. And you have an army of robots. Um, taking over the world. Who do you pick to be your sidekick, CJ or myself? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that, I would think that the answer is obvious. You know, Duck versus really cool chemist, also good at taking over worlds. But I can when fly. As Duck versus chemist, then I think the answer is pretty obvious because I'm a chemist, but I'm not a duck. So actually, I need a duck <laughs> to verify our skill sets, I think. Uh take over the world with just clones of similar people i have other qualities too i um i i have a motorcycle that's quite cool yeah ducks ducks can't ride motorcycles okay but ducks have kind of cool and they can fly yeah but he's not going to be able to fly you anywhere he's a duck very true but being able to fly would be useful as maybe a scout or to figure out what's going on over a very high wall that's in front of me. They don't really normally have flying robots during the robot apocalypse, do they? Um, they might. I know you're you're the one who's made all of these robots in the robot apocalypse, Nessa. So <laughs> it's really up to you. Like, <laughs> I mean, drones are not that expensive nowadays. I'd probably have a couple of drones in my army. In the Terminator movies, they do have the, like, flying robots. I will say that. Fair enough. It's useful. I, I think I'll build that in when I'm formulating my plans. <laughs> okay. You, you've picked CJ to be your sidekick. Um, is there a place for me in your robot army somehow? Like, do I, do I have a role or am I just, like, am I screwed like the rest of the world? So I, my plan for when the robots take over is basically for me to be the last one that they kill. Oh. So you're free to be the second last if you like. <laughs> Wait, so you take out your you would take out your sidekick before you take me out? Uh no comments. <laughs> <laughs> Nessa, tell us a little bit about yourself. Alright. My entire background is in synthetic chemistry. I did undergrads in synthetic chemistry. I did even more synthetic chemistry different projects in grad school and I never imagined being anything other than a synthetic organic chemist and then after starting an awesome job in industry having loads of fun with yet more synthetic chemistry um, I accidentally found myself in a really cool role working with robots and basically that's how it's been ever since. Um, I love working with robots, I love working in industry because I guess I get to do a little bit extra 
outside my time at work in terms of chemistry. Um, I get to do fun things. I like organizing conferences. I like talking to my nerd friends, doing stuff like this, which is always fun. <laughs> Who are you calling a nerd? I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> are we a not very... all nerds on chem Twitter? I'm a very... I have a motorcycle. I can't possibly be a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for our, uh, for our non-technical audience, uh, what do you do with robots? Uh, so I guess there are a lot of things you can do with robots. Aside as from taking over the world. Uh, apart from taking over the world, because that's more of like a long-term plan. Um, but in the short term, then you can use robots for all kinds of things in chemistry. You can use them just to pick things up and move them around. You can use them to um, take samples of your reactions to find out what's actually going on in there, to purify your compounds, to make lots and lots of compounds at once. Or you can do what I do, which is reaction optimization, which basically involves doing the same reaction, like a hundred or more times at the same time, and trying to figure out the best way of doing it. Sometimes by, you know, highly intellectual thought about exactly how you should be going about this and seeing which is the best, and sometimes by just guessing, and sometimes by blind luck. It's great. What are the volumes of these reactions typically? Teeny tiny, so yeah. small, like 200 microliters. Like, which is, I don't know, like a couple of drops. NASA, what was the first job you had and how did that transition into being a master of robots? <laughs> okay, so yeah, I, I did start off in what I expected a synthetic organic chemist to do. Um, in a word, making things, making drug type molecules for the drug discovery efforts. Uh, which was great fun. I had a good time. I really, really love making molecules, making new molecules that no one's ever made before, especially for, for an industry that actually has impacts on people's lives, I think is a really important part of it. Um, and I guess one day there was just an opportunity. And I'd always been interested in things like how machine learning or statistics are being applied to chemistry. Um, which is not a subject of my expertise at all. I just thought it was really interesting to see how we could make drug discovery and adjacent fields um, more effective, more efficient, just do things faster and better and maybe end up in a better endpoint than you might otherwise have done. Um, so, yeah, when I saw the opportunity, someone pointed it out to me and I thought, yeah, this <laughs> this looks amazing. I'll I'll go for it. Yeah, so you manage the robots, but you're working collaboratively with other people um, at work who use the robots with you? Or do they just kind of hand off, they say, hey, I want to do this screen. Can you do it for me? How, how does that all work? Um, yeah, it, it was really pretty collaborative. Sometimes then I would get given an exact screen. This quite often came from the process chemists. So there wouldn't really be a lot of freedom. To be honest, those were still kind of fun. Mm -hmm. and but more often that I mean to be honest I would just walk around the department if I ever had like anything slightly approaching spare time and I'd just kind of be like hey what are you up to can I screen something for you and that mm -hmm. was cool because sometimes people would just say oh yeah I've got this thing that's kind of on the back burner and I don't really have time to do it or I'd see something that I thought might benefit 
from a bit of robot help. Mm-hmm. And those were great because, you know, I could stick anything in there, basically, and sometimes it worked. So, Nessa, it sounds like to me that you didn't only work for process chemists or only medicinal chemists, but you were kind of in like a core type facility where it's just anybody could bring you a problem and you would try to fix it. Yeah, and it was very international as well. Um, I really, really appreciated that because I thought it was great to be able to interact with so many chemists and it was just a very social way to work and and it's, it's kind of funny that working with robots who you think of as like these inhuman things actually help your job be way more social than it otherwise would be well that's how they get you <laughs> exactly. i'm gonna jump to our to our quiz okay we're, we're, we're gonna quiz you on your favorite robots and Favorite cool. can be defined by their battle worthiness or which you would prefer to care for an elderly parent or their intelligence. It's it's entirely up to you how you judge your favorite robots. So Bender from Futurama or Terminator, uh, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger original. <laughs> oh, Bender's just so annoying. No, Terminator, definitely. Terminator or Optimus Prime from the Transformers. Oh, I'm too unfamiliar with Optimus Prime. Oh, yeah, me too, but... Like, I don't know, he's, he seems like a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Transformers themselves are cool, right? Yeah, I mean, cool. how great is that? Like, you can be a car one minute and then just, like, a deaf robot the next minute? <laughs> I'd say that would be pretty uh, helpful in the robot apocalypse. Which one of your robots do you think would be most likely to be become a death robot in its spare time? I did work with this one robot. I've I've said a few times that I think he would lead the army into the apocalypse. He was a good little robot, a liquid dispenser. Um, <laughs> but the reason I say this is because you know how most robots, if you kind of get in the way of them, then most lab robots will stop immediately for safety. This guy did not. He would just like you would if you put your hand in his way, he would just bash into you. So I thought he would be like the good strong man at the at the front of the army leading the charge. All right, Optimus Prime or Data from Star Trek? Oh, um Data, I reckon. Okay, this I've... one might be uh this one might be controversial. Um Data or the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um <laughs> Wait, he's missing he's missing brains right yeah i think i think he's missing the brain but like we're assuming that this is after the wizard of oz is done and he has his brain or he has that's different then if he's got if he's got his brain back but still he's not super intelligent he's probably just normal intelligent once he's retrieved his brain from the wizard probably Mm, so maybe data's still way more useful um i guess a couple more Um, sorry wait the tin man didn't have a heart he didn't have a heart. Who, who didn't have the brain? Oh, the uh, the straw. Um, yeah. The straw man. The scarecrow didn't have a brain. Oh, he yeah. is. Yeah, you're right. Oh, okay. Well, you need to be heartless in the apocalypse. So, <laughs> okay. So wait. So you're going with the Tin Man then? Yeah. Oh, I certainly am. But like, what if it's at the end of Wizard of Oz where it turns out that he does have a heart? Yeah. Well, in that case, I'd probably switch off from him back to Data. Okay. So you take his heart out, and then... Okay. I mean, I, I might hire another robot to help me with that, but yeah, you've got to be ruthless in the apocalypse. Fair enough. 
Um, okay, so the Tin Man Ness is or... going to be a survivor. Well, until until the very end. That is the plan. <laughs> <laughs> this episode, as as far as I can tell, is going to air on Boxing Day, um, cool. which is not something that is celebrated in the United States. Or I mean, I know that we celebrate Boxing Day in general, but um, it's certainly something that we we have in Canada, and it's mostly uh, we have um, really good sales on Boxing Day, but. You guys have that in, in England too, right? Yeah, we do. Boxing Day sales are great. I'm planning on celebrating this year. CJ, do you have questions about Boxing Day? What the hell is it? <laughs> Again, yeah, that's, that's, I guess, part of the same question. I mean, what is Boxing Day? I don't know. Does anybody know, really? According to Wikipedia, <laughs> it's when uh, servants would get a Christmas box from their master. Would, oh, there, okay. would there be something in the box? Yes. <laughs> okay. Gifts, bonuses, and sometimes leftover food. Oh, that's, oh, that's leftover really, food. How kind. Really generous. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just picturing like you, you get a box, and then like a three-year-old, you maybe like make it into a spaceship, <laughs> and that is your present. Where Where did you grow up? Because you always like to talk about Warrington on Twitter. Oh, this is so great. Oh, this is awesome. Okay, yeah, if we mention Warrington on this podcast, then Warrington is totally famous, right? This is so cool. <laughs> uh, famous. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a stretch for our podcast. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, tell us, about, uh, tell us about where you grew up. Yeah, Warrington's kind of a funny place, I think, because I feel like even within the UK, a lot of people can't really relate to Warrington. <laughs> It's one of these sort of typical small northern towns. Um, it's, you know, like a very working class town, relatively small town, not much going on there. Um, but I think it was a great way, a great place to grow up in many ways, because it's right in the middle of Liverpool and Manchester, which makes getting to either of those two cities very convenient. I don't know. It's It's a very different culture to the south of England, where I've lived since returning back from the States. Um, what, what kind of differences would you say? I don't know. I think it's, I think it's more of a cultural thing. There's, there's this thing in the UK where people always say that people from the north are a lot friendlier. And okay. it's not that people from the south are unfriendly. I have slowly discovered over time. It's just that they're less willing to talk to strangers. And now I've been living in the South for a while, I also find myself slipping into their ways. So if a stranger strikes up a conversation, I'm like, oh, what are you doing? Whereas in the <laughs> North, where I grew up, that was just normal. Everyone talks to each other all the time. That's really <laughs> interesting. So people are typically pretty approachable in the North. Yeah, totally. People yeah. in general are very friendly. Or if they have a bone to pick with you, they will tell you immediately whether it's any of their business or not, which I kind of appreciate. OK, so so for better or worse, people are approachable and will approach you. Yeah, okay. it makes life a little bit more fun. Tell us the name of the city that you live in now. I live in a small town, even smaller than Warrington, called Deal, which is lovely. I thought you were in Sandwich. I am next to Sandwich, and okay. it is a great part of the world. It is genuinely great. <laughs> I live right next to the sea, 
And if I just walk four minutes down the road on a clear day, I can see France. And I think that's the coolest thing. Huh. So would you say that you're sandwiched between sandwich and France? <laughs> I could dignify that with an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that was a bit of a stretch, Alex. It's actually <laughs> a little sad to see. Like, I expected all the shops in Sandwich to have Sandwich puns in the names, but they don't. None of them. I haven't seen a single one. It's really disappointing. But, uh, tell, us, tell us about uh, where you live, because you said that it's a really nice place. Yeah, it is a nice place. Um, I love living right in the middle of town. I used to live in a tiny village, and that was also lovely. Um, right on the edge of all the woodlands, and I thought I might really miss the, the woodlands if I'm moving to the middle of town. Um, but it turns out it's pretty beautiful here as well. So it, it's great being by the sea. It's really cool being so close to the beach. I keep trying to take the cats to the beach, and I've only managed it once so far, because even though it's four minutes walk for a human, it kind of takes a while to get a cat there. They like yeah. to stop and sniff and go backwards and... Do you put your cat on a leash or something? I do, I do. They are indoor cats. They can't go out by themselves because they're immunodeficient. Um, But they love going outside, and they really wish they could do it all the time. So I do take them out sometimes. And we we make friends. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny to see another human with a cat on a lead, and the cats make friends, and... One of them really likes people. The other one's a little bit scared of people, but they make friends. One more, like, uh, Warrington-related geography question. How far are you from, like, where you consider, like, Scotland to begin? Oh, that's a good question. It's several hours' drive. It takes a while to get up there. I love visiting Scotland. It's the absolute... It's my favourite place, possibly. Scottish countryside is beautiful. Sadly where I am now at literally the opposite end of England to where Scotland begins it takes well it took me seven and a half hours on the train to get to Glasgow when I went last month yeah I mean that's a little longer than it is to drive from like San Francisco to Los Angeles I've done that drive um it's it's actually really boring it's it's awful yeah it's basically like driving through Nebraska I have yeah. no frame of reference for that, but it sounds bad. <laughs> Imagine the drive between Champaign and Chicago, but uh, seven hours long. Cool. Sounds yeah. like hell. Yep, it's, it's a real <laughs> great time. <laughs> I've I'm wanted to ask you Warrington questions for like five years now. Oh, awesome. That's a weird thing to just like hold in. Well, you don't like can't walk up to people on Twitter and be like, tell me about your childhood right that's that's what like literally everyone does <laughs> oh no it's just it's it is so... true it's weirdly true that's what you do on twitter isn't it <laughs> yeah you find some person that you've never met and ask them the most personal questions yes. and <laughs> it's great yeah sometimes <laughs> yeah i have to be very very careful and i'm not very very careful i'm aware of that so it's fine yeah. Yeah, I think I've I've made my own missteps. You you do develop like really nice relationships, like like me and CJ. I control him all day. He, he <laughs> loves it because we're we're buds. Like I find myself very prone to being overly familiar with people in a way that and has gotten me into trouble. Opposites is a problem that I keep seeing more. People assume they know someone 
you see sometimes people just assuming, oh, someone said this thing, therefore this person is an asshole. And they don't understand the context of that comment. They don't understand where the person was coming from. And I think it's very easy for someone to be misread in 280 characters. I think about this a lot, actually. A, there's zero empathy on Twitter, or there's it, it's very limited. The level of empathy that I have for, say, you and CJ is different than random person on Twitter that gets retweeted into my timeline. It's not a platform that nurtures empathy. Like if I tweet something fun and and joking, you know, the people who follow me will get it. They have the context of my sense of humor, my style. The bigger your audience, the more likely someone's going to find something wrong with what you've said. Yeah, the more careful you have to be. Um, Sometimes you don't have control over how, how big your audience gets some tweet might blow up and the reason that i thought about this recently was professor dave evans is now on twitter and he's been doing kind of like story time with professor evans which is great i love it yeah yeah i've been loving it and and he tweeted something about like eric carrera and someone you know replied and you know posted that infamous uh letter that eric carrera wrote about guido not spending enough time in lab on evenings and weekends and and that became a whole the letter's not great and i'm sorry to laugh yeah. But I just I just checked the thread and somebody wrote, I hope things worked out for Guido. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think they I think they did. They did. He, yeah, he's like the director at like at Novartis or Roche or somewhere. It's Novartis. Yeah. He got promoted recently again. Like he's like in charge of everything now. He's definitely doing all right. <laughs> yeah. And and you know what? Eric Carrera is also doing all right. You know what really needs to happen? on on chemistry twitter or on this podcast is we need to get like six anonymous voices just to talk about the dear guido letter and its effects on our lives like yeah. that would be a great podcast he's like i would listen to that it's a really yeah. fucked up letter at the yeah. same time everybody has seen that letter yeah. that their boss like everybody has seen a letter that a boss sends to a subordinate that basically says like like shape up or ship out most of the time it's actually not you stepped on the yellow line when you weren't supposed to or you didn't bring me coffee when i told you to it's mostly like you've been gone for two weeks where the fuck have you been and that's the sort of thing that most of these letters are about. I'd like to think 50% of the time that letter or that conversation actually results in the desired effect, which is, I know you've been able to get away with this in the past, but this is not the behavior that I expect of you. That's the point of those communications. The Dear Guido letter is such a really weird example of somebody deploying that letter in the completely wrong context and then doing it at just the right time, you could print that letter out, right? Because mm-hmm. like a hundred, 300 years ago, you would not have taken a piece of parchment to write that letter. You would have walked <laughs> down to the lab and said, thy work ethic is shitty. Like, Ergo. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, now you can do that most of the time bosses when they really want to make that letter work they they will print it out and sign it and like stick it on your desk and here's what i want to know who had the brilliant idea of taking that letter and scanning it 
and putting it on the internet where it has lived forever. Surely not Guido, surely. (laughs) When I was in grad school, (laughs) this is my advice I used to do. We used to come in in the morning quite often and he'd have told his secretary to put to put a memo on sometimes an individual's desk, sometimes the entire lab's desks. And these were proper signed letter-headed papers and it said at the top, official memorandum. And that was how he communicated with us. I find that really interesting. Yeah, but like back to the Guido letter. I remember I... when I was an undergrad and that was kind of circulated in, in my lab at, at Queens. I was I remember thinking, wow, like who the hell is this Eric Carrera guy? And then I remember like at the end of grad school, having drunk all the Kool-Aid, I'm like, who the hell is this Guido guy? <laughs> like, it is emblematic of there is that kind of culture in, you know, in organic synthesis sometimes. And like certainly in, in the United States that you're just grinding on evenings and weekends and Maybe it's not as explicit in my own research group. I think there was more of a social pressure than anything explicit from my advisor. I think that is a social pressure that yeah. actually, in many cases, makes it happen. I mean, yeah. we, we were the same explicit things as it says in the letter, but we wouldn't have had them written down. We were told them verbally, but I don't think creating a paper trail, we're mostly aware of paper trails being bad. I don't think there's anything inherently bad about a graduate school culture that basically says i am the lead runner i mean it it has to come from the pi and then get transmitted to the postdocs and the senior grad students that says i am the pi and i am going to run this hard i would like you to try to keep up with me and then that tends to set a culture of the boss runs hard, therefore we're going to try to run hard too. Ideally, it is you yourself figure out in the individual student or uh, colleague or whatever you want to call them needs to figure out how best they can run hard, what that looks like for them. And then ideally, there is some kind of social pressure or mentorship that the senior graduate students teach the the younger graduate students this is how we work hard and this is how (laughs) we get better at working hard or this is how we get better at doing things well but what it ends up being because we're humans is you're not fucking keeping up you need to keep up what that looks like in terms of actually getting better gets left aside and all the emphasis is put on you suck get better no i it just what you just said really reminded me of when i was in grad school and one of the senior grad students (laughs) actually he wasn't a very nice guy to be honest people didn't really like him because he wasn't very nice to people very often (laughs) but i remember him telling me one day how great he was at mentoring at giving feedback and stuff like that and I was kind of thinking to myself you're absolutely terrible at this mate <laughs> like you're really not all <laughs> the people you have mentored absolutely despise you did but you say this to him? Really, he is now in industry I'm yeah. sure but like, he must have changed we should look up his LinkedIn profile and it probably says like I am excellent at mentoring people it probably does, yeah. I should actually have a look someday. No, at, at the Professional time... Professional development expert. 
strong yes, communicator. Oh, that sounds very likely. <laughs> Life coach. <laughs> God. But yeah, I really wanted feedback at the time. So I said, okay, do you have any feedback for me if you're so good and, and you know exactly what I'm working on? We're in the same subgroup. We're doing similar projects. His feedback to me was be less shit. And that was the end. Oh. Wow. <laughs> That's a really good life coaching. One time, one time I had a senior graduate student who actually, ultimately, I think that when he wanted to, he could be an excellent teacher. But he walked up to me. I was standing at my hood and he was like, when are you going to replace uh, the hacks that you have for hands and get a pair of these? And he like sticks out his hands in front of me. You know, <laughs> there's the whole like graduate student thing about hands as a dude i get like dude culture like this is the way of saying like we are all on the same team and you are a younger member of the team and i want you to be as good as i am it's an extremely dickish thing to say yeah Uh, it's it's literally like a like a a dick measuring thing (laughs) oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) synthetic chemistry in particular is just full of this culture to, to what Nessa said in terms of like the, you know be less shit and what what this senior student said to you CJ I, I've got to imagine neither of these people probably ever remember saying these things to you and it's something that has stuck with both of you for to to this day uh, that's something that I think about a lot is like you know what what are the for the record know, I don't like routinely think this to myself like oh yeah. I have I I have hacks for hands right? no but like but it is a it is a memory yeah. that you have yeah yeah. I do remember this one conversation back in like whenever whatever year it was. Right. And and this guy probably doesn't remember at all saying like be less shit. He probably like you know if he if you're asking hey like do, do you remember any feedback that you gave to Nessa? You probably be like, oh you know I probably gave her some like really supportive stuff. For for better or worse like you can might you might do something really nice for someone that like is you know th- thoughtless on your end and and they might remember this wonderful thing that you did for them and you you might not remember and in the same way that like. You know, people might do some thoughtlessly terrible things that, like, you know, again, they don't remember, but has really stuck with them, and that, that kind of like haunts me a little bit. You know, you know, yeah, I, I, I agree about like, yeah, no, I know, I think about, I think a lot about like thoughtful and thoughtless, good and bad, that quadrant. I, I, I don't know, I, I don't know what the lesson is here, but I'm just like. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting to think about, like, just random stuff you remember, conversations from high school, stuff like that. There, there's like the the thing that I think about a lot. Kids can be mean to one another. The, this conversation really allowed me to extend that to basically like, yeah, grad school students can be mean to one another too. It's part of the same thing, just at a much older level. It's sticking a kick me sign on the back of somebody's shirt is in first grade. It's, I think it's interesting, like, especially given that I recently started a new job, which means I'm thinking more about human interactions. I've never met most of these people right, before. Right, right, And robot interactions. The number of things that really do make me think, oh, yeah, that's like a really high school thing to do. And just watching people in meetings, especially, I think is always very, very interesting. It's quite animalistic i think meetings usually <laughs> when we were kids and you look at adults and you're like okay well you know people suck now but eventually everyone grows up and i think like people don't grow up you know some people still have the same EQ that they did you know 
like when they were in high school or, or younger. And I'm like, I'm grateful that I've kind of like, I was a weird kid in high school. <laughs> I'm like, I'm an adult weird kid now, but like, I think I'm an adult weird kid with also some level of emotional intelligence. <laughs> um, uh, and cool I, job and loads of great stuff going for you. Nessa, thank you for spending your Saturday afternoon with us. And we, we look forward to interacting with you more on Twitter and, and also the robot apocalypse. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I've had a really great time. Enjoy, Nessa. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Nessa Carson. You can follow her on Twitter at SuperScienceGirl, spelled G-R-L. Thanks again to Brendan Burkett for designing our logo. You can follow him at Chemscrapes. And to Caroline Landau for coining our podcast title. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you choose. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast. And feel free to leave us your feedback on Twitter at Periodic Bagel. This episode was brought to you by the letter T and the number 800. Thanks again for joining us for our last episode of the year. We'll be back again in 2020 with more bagely goodness. Happy holidays, and we'll talk to you next time. What do you do in your spare time? Um, I cuddle cats. What are their names? Faraday and Rufus. Oh, nice. Oh, Rufus, like the, uh, the ligand. Yeah, exactly. Which was named after a cat. Yeah, isn't that the perfect name? Nessa, are you there? What if I try to fake a British accent? Hello, Nessa.